Thank you, Pastor Gary. It is a joy to be here today. I'm going to take this out of the chair. I'm not a, I'm not a stay put kind of guy. I used to be, because I used to not like speaking in front of people at all. I used to just hate it. So I had to hide behind something that people that couldn't see. But uh, God has changed me. And if God can change me from being a very timid public speaker to somebody who actually enjoys it, he can do anything. If we serve a God of the impossible, you know that? And I think it's really exciting when we realize that, that the God of the impossible loves us. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And, and not that we could have this great bless me club, but why are we saved? We're saved to bless others, right? We're blessed to be a blessing. And, and so it's actually um, exciting. Uh, my wife and I were always active in our local churches that we went to. And uh, one at a time, of course, but, you know, we, we did move around a little bit. And, and so we always felt like we need to be active in the local church, doing what God has put on our hearts to do. But then... When God said to us, go be missionaries, I had to, honestly, I had to say to God, what are you talking about? I'm a computer programmer. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I, I don't do that. You must have the wrong Phil Reed. There's got to be another one out there just like me that you just got the wrong guy. And of course he didn't. But, but I, I think it's really interesting that, that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the details of our lives. I shared that with the guys in Sunday school this morning. He knows the details of our lives, and, and he has a plan for us, and it's really important for us to find out what that is. Anyway, it's good to be here, and I was glad Carrie reminded me of that tote because uh, I, I forgot all about it. Just, but thank you for sending that tote to us. That was really a blessing. Um, Captain Crunch is my cereal of choice when I, when I don't get something else for a while, so that, that was my, my thing. Hope got something else. I don't remember what it was, but uh, yeah, so she's the more of the sugary, more sugary stuff than that one. But anyway, just uh, uh, my wife makes granola for me, so that's that's my my breakfast of choice. But when I can have Captain Crunch, I like to have that too. So, but we 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 were blessed by that, and so we just want to say thank you for for that. That was really a, a thrill, and I think we did only get like three of those totes sent to us. So I, uh, it was one of them was my dad. So. I think that one was my mother-in-law, so it's like, you know what, you, you really blessed us. Now, it's interesting because we don't have brown sugar in Ukraine, we don't, so they don't have molasses either as a substitute, so we have to bring that in. And so when I shared that with the church in Brainerd, Baxter, the kids are raising money to buy molasses for us. So they're like, you probably have way too much molasses, we're like, that's okay. So it'll be fun to see, what, see how, what God does with that. But anyway, my, my wife, uh, Denise, and I, we are thrilled to be your missionaries to Ukraine. Uh, it is a privilege for us. We've actually lived there six out of the last nine years. Uh, feels like a lot longer and feels like a lot less in some ways, depending on how you look at it. And I told Pastor Gary last night we had supper, and thanks again for that too, uh, that I didn't want to leave the day we left. I was ready to go back already. I'm telling my friends and I'm saying goodbye. I'm like, I don't want to leave. I really didn't want to leave. But you got to do what you got to do. And so we're glad to be home, of course, spend time with family. And my mother-in-law, who turned 87 a couple weeks ago, was very, um, let's just say she was counting the days for our return. And then we told her it was going to be delayed a year, and we stayed four years instead of three. She was actually, what? And, and so... She's glad to have my wife back. So my wife is actually in Iowa visiting her mother for Mother's Day, which is the right place to be, correct? And so happy Mother's Day to the, the ladies. And, um, you know, we, we spent a few years in infertility issues. So Mother's Day was not always a happy day at our house. And so we always were glad when pastors would say that, you know what? It's not just the mothers. It's, takes a community to raise children, and so it's just, it's for all the women, and I think that's really important. So happy Mother's Day. Um, my wife and I, this summer, will be celebrating 31 years of marriage. And I'm, I'm young, Pastor Gary told me, because I'm going to be 55 this summer, so that tells you he's not 45. <laughs> so, all right, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I really appreciate it. Our two daughters, Laura and Hope, Laura is 25, Hope is 17, going to public school, graduating in three weeks from yesterday. June 1st, she graduates. 
I bring you greetings from my wife as well as your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are very grateful for you. My, your brothers and sisters in Christ ask a lot of questions about the church in America. And I always hesitate to answer those questions because I don't want them to think that just because we do something in America that it's the right thing to do. Because sometimes it's just the way we do it. Just like they do things the way they do things. And, but they're very appreciative of, of you and your financial partnership with us, your prayer partnership with us. And I just want to share with you, anything that I share today, you're a part of that. Because you financially partner with us monthly. You, uh, you helped us get on the field with an offering, actually twice last time. You had us two different times for, for a service last itineration because I was begging Pastor Gary, can I please come again? You don't even have to give me an offering. Just, just have us come again because I need, need to go somewhere. And uh, so you guys really have been a blessing to us. We really appreciate that. Um, and we're very grateful for your monthly partnership with us as in, in prayer and regular prayer and with uh, financial partnership. It's, it's a huge blessing, and we're very, very grateful for that. Um, you guys give the speed of light at all here, right? A little bit? At least something? Praise the Lord, because that is our car. We love Speed the Light. And when, whenever I traveled around Ukraine, which I did a lot, my wife always told me, make sure you tell them the car isn't ours. Because they already have this idea in their heads that we're rich Americans. So I could say to them, I did not buy this car. It is not my car. It was a gift from the youth of Minnesota. They're like, ooh. And of course, the question always became, what are you going to do with your car when you go back to America? Can I have your car? Uh, no, it's not how it works. It's not mine to give away or sell, so it's sitting in a, one of my colleagues' yards waiting for us to get home so we can drive her again. So we love that Toyota Highlander. She gets good gas mileage and handles on those horrible roads very well. Um, and you can actually fit people and or things. So we've actually had my wife and I, five guys and our stuff in that car. And the smart guy sat in back with the stuff. The, uh, the other four had to sit like this for four hours, so it was a little uncomfortable for them. But you know what? When you're going to youth retreat, who cares, right? It's, it was all good. Uh, it's, it, we're really blessed, and so thank you very much for giving this Speed the Light. The last year I have traveled, I would say, 75% of the weekends um, to somewhere. And that usually means going at least two hours away, uh, preaching three or four times in a weekend, We've taken many students and many young people to camp right, right. and pick them up in villages. We would never be able to go to villages without the car. Without the car. Yeah. Often I tell churches that the youth in Minnesota paid for this car for us and they say over and over again, that is a miracle. And when I tell them that the youth of Minnesota gave over a million dollars the last three years, they say, that is a miracle. Because that is money they cannot understand. But thanks for your faithfulness. You're a big blessing. And don't stop giving to missions because God will always bless you for it. Same as the God started just over 100 years ago with the vision to start the greatest work of evangelism the world has ever seen, ever known. And if you look back at our history, you can say, well, we've probably done a pretty good job at that. And partially that's true. But we can't measure the work we did. We have to measure the work undone. And there's more people lost in the world than are saved. There's a whole lot of unreached people in the world. And so we still, every time we get together with our colleagues, in, in larger gatherings, somebody talks about this. And we still have a lot of work left to do. And I just, I tell you that to give you a little bit of background of what, why we're doing what we're doing. And in the Samus of God World Missions, we have four parts to our mission statement. Planning churches, training believers, reaching the lost, and serving the poor and suffering. And it doesn't mean that we do all four of these things every day when we're on the field, because it's not quite that easy. Uh, but th those are the, our, the things we focus on the most. My wife focuses more on serving the poor and suffering while I focus more on the other ones. But, but honestly, it's all important. In Eurasia, which is our part of the world, it covers 44 countries and territories starting in North Africa, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, Russia, Central Asia, India, and Southeast Asia. 
all very different culturally, religiously, and um, climate-wise. We have major religions in those countries. We have Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and all kinds of other isms, as well as Orthodox Christianity. And it doesn't matter what country we're in, we're planting churches. It just doesn't look the same in some of the countries where it's a little more um, creative access, let's say. You can't just hang a sign out front and say, welcome to First Assembly of God, Baghdad, Iraq, for example. It has to be a little more subtle than that. Um, but that doesn't mean that's not what we're doing, because that is, that is really our, our focus. In our part of Eurasia, which is called Eurasia Northwest, it's the three countries in the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, which Estonia is considered the least religious country in Europe. Then we skip Belarus because we don't have any AG missionaries in Belarus because it is ultimately a very difficult place to be. Um, we had some people there, and they actually got kicked out because they were teaching in Bible school, and they passed a law that said if you don't speak Russian at a college level, you cannot teach in our Bible schools. Well, even the people speaking Russian don't speak Russian at that level, okay? Nobody does. But that's, that was their way of getting people out of the country. And so it's a difficult place to be, and so right now there's nobody there. Uh, Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, and Armenia. And other than the three Baltic countries that are very European, very wealthy, the other four countries are, are somewhat poor. Moldova's the poorest country in Europe. Ukraine is an interesting country because we have Kiev, which is a very rich city, very international city, very normal international city. And then you have the people living in villages that have next to nothing. So you have the extreme. So in a lot of ways, Ukraine is mostly a third world country. Um, our vision statement there is to plant the church where it is not. And in, in our context in Ukraine, it's very important because the Ukrainians are poor and cannot afford to get on a bus to go to the city to go to church. Or if they had a car, they couldn't afford to put gas in it to go to the city to go to church. So you have to have a church where they live or else they're not going to go to church. We're a lot more mobile in America where we can just get in the car and drive 30 minutes if we want to go to church. That's not a big deal. They don't have that luxury. And so trying to plant churches and villages on a limited budget is a very interesting challenge. And Ukraine has become our home away from home. And honestly, that... Pastor Gary said it, I, I'm ready to go back. God isn't ready for us to go back, however, so we're just still doing what we do here so we can do what we love to do there. But the bottom box is Simferopol, Crimea, and we lived there for two months in the spring of 2012 in preparation for what we were planning to do this last term. And we were planning to go live in Crimea and minister to a Muslim people group called the Crimean Tatars. And when we were here last time, my wife and I wore our fancy robes and a lot of people remember that because they were very unique. And we figured that that's what we were going to do and go, whatever. Well, then Russia took Crimea, and it became impossible for us to go there, to live. And so that meant we had no idea what we were going to do while we finished that generation. No idea, actually, the first 10 months of our time in Ukraine, what we were actually going to do for ministry. We spent, I spent time... Six months working on Russian language, spent six months working on a project to figure out what we were going to do. And ultimately, what I learned in that project was that the country is 95% Orthodox. And that means that everybody else falls under the 5%. So 2.5% at most are truly born-again evangelical believers. And the rest, other 2.5% would be Catholic, um, Jews, Muslims, and whoever else. So it's a very, um, very heavily weighted towards cultural orthodoxism, I would say, orthodoxy. And um, we lived in Kiev for that year while we tried to figure out what we were going to do. And ultimately, I did not like living in Kiev. You know why? Too many people. I know you live in this area because you like quiet. You don't like traffic jams. When you go to Minneapolis, it makes you nervous, right? Yeah, okay, I understand you. I live in Apple Valley. I totally understand you. But, but uh, Kiev is three million people and just too much for me. And I, I did not enjoy it at all. Uh, we live in a city, the middle box, Krivoy Rog. The city is 80 miles long and 20 miles wide. 
So it's long and skinny, built along a river, and there's iron ore mines. So I feel right at home. I'm from northeast Minnesota, so I'm, that's, that's normal for me to have red dirt and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we lived there because that's where the church that we work with, their main church is in Creeway Road. Um, it is a dirty, polluted city. There's also a large, the largest steel mill in Europe there. So you think Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, only dirtier? That's us. And there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of uh, drug abuse and all kinds of good things, you could say, I guess. It's just, it's a bad city. And I, the only reason I love it is because that's where God called, basically spoke to our hearts about loving the Ukrainian people. That's where I went on my short-term trips. And so that is really home to us. It's, it's a, very much a paradox in a lot of ways. It's been an amazing almost three years trying to just help them in the process of planting churches. And what I like the best is really the relationship I have with, with some of the pastors, uh, especially the younger pastors. And uh, I try to always tie in somehow with the Great Commission, going and making disciples. And how do we do that? We, through discipleship. We've had up to eight guys that called us mom and dad, and you treat them like your your family because they're they don't always have families. Because our main purpose was church planting, we expect to just come and visit churches and encourage them, and, and especially trying to visiting new churches and whatever. But then God opened the door for youth ministry for us, and I, we were amazed, absolutely amazed. It feels like we need to encourage them that this life is not all you look at. It's God working through you. There's nothing too hard for God. God can do anything. Um, and, and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so it's, it's become part of my DNA, part of who I am. Um, the idea of encouraging them that nothing's too hard for God. Now, the one church that had the wood at the front of the sanctuary, or I should say on the back of the platform, they got that idea from Pinterest. And the rest of the church building does not look that nice because they're starting at the front of the church and working their way around, basically. And it was basically a little house that they built this sanctuary onto it. And so it's a really interesting process watching them as they build as they can afford it. Um, and, and that's one of the one of the top four churches in, in our group of churches we work with. Great, great group of people there. I love the pastor and his wife. His wife actually pastors the one church. He pastors a different church. And so, uh, but we live in Crevoy Rogue because Churches of Praise, that's a group of churches we work with. Their headquarters is in Crevoy Rogue. And they are a charismatic group of churches because in, in Ukraine, typically the Assemblies of God missionaries have partnered with the Pentecost Union. And I'm... I struggle with the Pentecost Union, I'll be really honest with you, because they're very legalistic, very um, rules-oriented. And so the women wear head coverings, and they sit on one side of the church, the men sit on the other side of the church. Um, there's all kinds of rules that they have as far as, you know, if you have makeup on, you can't take communion that day or whatever, and just all kinds of... We're, I'm telling you, it's 50 years ago Pentecost is what it is in American Pentecost. And so um, they teach that kids can't be saved. And I struggle with that because I was five years old when I gave my life to Jesus. And so don't tell me kids can't be saved because I, I was one. And so uh, it's one of the, I just really struggle with some of their, their doctrine. I struggle with their leadership that seemed to be very power hungry, money hungry and whatever. And so I, I'm like, I, I can't work with them. But I can work with somebody else, and so I work with this charismatic group of churches who has a desire to plant churches. And I, and I work with them because God called us to. It's that simple. Um, when I was finishing up my project, God started speaking to my heart. we got to move back to Creevoy Rogue. And I thought, what? I thought that chapter was over and done. I thought that we'd lived there for two years, and that was it. But no, God wanted to use the relationship that we had invested in the first two years so that he could use those things in the future. And Ministry is all about relationship. If you don't have a relationship with somebody, you can't really minister to them. 
Pastor Gary was just telling me last night that, you know, if you've only been in a, t- in a church 10 years, you're just getting started. Because people are just getting to know you. The people in the community are just starting to understand who you are and, and that you're really there for the long haul. And, and so it's the same way in any, in any setting. If they, I don't, people don't know me, they're not going to receive from me. Now, I try to do things I can when I'm preaching to build a bridge to, so they will receive from me. But I've watched as, as grown-ups, I'll use that phrase, have tried to correct young people some behavior that they see at church going on, and they'll go up to them and say, you stop doing that. And you know that goes over like a lead balloon when they don't have a relationship with a young person. They're just another cranky old person yelling at them. I've seen it over and over again. But if a person who has a relationship with them comes up to that young person and puts their armor on them and says, you know, there's probably a better way to do that. It's received because there's a relationship. And I see that same thing to be true in, in the relationships that I have in Ukraine. That people, because I'm, I, I'm their friend first, because I spend time being, doing fun things with them, then they'll take the serious conversation as well. And that, that really helps. Um, we're there to help them plant churches. That does not mean that... I'm helping them build buildings or buying buildings and whatever else. That is not my giftings at all. I am not a construction guy at all. Um, if I build something that looks like a second grader build it, built it, maybe even a kindergartner. I mean, it's really bad. Um, I, I just That's not my, my, my gifting at all. I don't work on my car. I pay somebody to do that because it's just, not again, not my thing. Um, but I'm there to help them with encouraging pastors to encouraging leaders, training leaders, doing what I can to just come alongside and be a support. Because a lot of times what, I, what I've seen in America as well as in Ukraine is that pastors who are in rural communities, they're lonely. They don't have very many friends. They don't have other believers as pastors who will understand their situation as, as a pastor. Um, we try to do what we can to help them reach the lost through outreaches. We did one outreach in a, in a small town uh, a year ago in January, and we had about 200 people show up. I got to give the altar call that day. Nobody came forward. And I thought this was really weird because in almost every other setting, in a, I'm in a village, people come forward to get saved. It's just normal. So in this setting, I thought this is really odd. So I actually repeated myself to make sure they understood, and nope, nobody moved. Well, what I found out later was that the Baptists had done similar kinds of outreaches in that community, but when they did it, they gave presents. So the 200 people came to get presents. All they got was the gospel. And I know the Baptists gave them the gospel, but that day they didn't get that. And the pastor was rather discouraged after that. I said, no. Don't be discouraged. We, we, you can never be discouraged. When you share the gospel and do what God asks you to do, you just say, okay, God, there's seeds we planted, and you're going to someday bring those to fruition. And, and so we, were, we encouraged ourselves that way. But it was, it was rough. And here's a young guy, 32 years old, his first pastorate, and it's been a difficult place to be. The church was about 25 people two years ago and went through two splits, and was just, there was four people left. Three older ladies and one man who was drunk most of the time. And so this, this young pastor comes in, and he's a very timid kind of guy. And there's one lady in the church who was there that came from the eastern part of Ukraine with a lot of hurts. And she would tell him during service, now, pastor, do this, pastor, do that, pastor. I'm like, that is so wrong. And so he tried to encourage her to change, and I tried to encourage him to stand up for himself because he wasn't used to that. And uh, basically, she found the door one day and never came back, which is not what we wanted. We wanted her to come to a place of repentance to actually sit under his ministry to be able to grow, but she couldn't do it. And now he's doing kids' ministry. That's his church. There's a bunch of kids. And I'm like, he's having a great time. And I'm glad because we need to reach the kids. Because if we don't, they're going to become young hoodlums who become drug addicts who are going to be stealing from people all the time. So it's exactly what we need to do. So I'm excited about that. The other thing we get to do is youth ministry. I'm going to be 55 this summer, and I never thought I'd be doing youth ministry. My wife and I 
did some youth ministry in her dad's church before we were married, okay? This was over 30 years ago. It did not go well. We were still trying to figure out our relationship, let alone how to minister together. And so now we're doing a lot better at it, fortunately. And, and we're having a lot of fun because at the stage of life we're at in our early 50s, my, we found that they have a great respect for us. And they tell us that we're not old, that we're experienced. I laugh. How do they get experience? You know. Uh, they also say that I'm young at heart, which I laugh and say I know what that means. But I'll give you some context. Life in Ukraine is hard. And I've had young people talk about their grandma who is, she sounds like she's ready to die, okay? Just like she can't do anything, just really in just tough physical shape. And I'm thinking to myself, grandma must be 85 at least. How old's your grandma, I ask? 57, 58, 60, 62. Ah, life is hard. So they age faster. I come along and I act like I'm not 54. And therefore, they say to me, I'm young. Because I don't act old. That's the difference. And, and so I have a lot of fun. I actually horse around with them a lot. The guys especially. I only the guys, I should say, I horse around with them. I just get tired faster. That's the only difference. And my, my nieces, two of my nieces and two nephews, they actually gave me the best compliment ever when they said that they felt bad for Uncle Philip because he was a boy trapped in a man's body. And I'm like, that is the best compliment I ever had in my life. So that pretty well describes where we're at. But my wife, she's mama. I'm papa, spiritually especially, but my wife is mama. And I, and I mean that as a, in a very practical way. She makes cookies. They don't get American cookies over there, so they love my wife's cookies. When we have guys over, and if they're hungry, she fixes them something. Even if it's only scrambling some eggs, she does something for them. Usually we have leftovers, so there's something extra for them. Um, but they look at her like she's a master chef. And I just laugh because she makes cookies, and she makes a hot dish, and they think she's a master chef. <laughs> Be that as it may, that, that works. She also fixes their clothes for them. If they got a hole in a shirt, she'll sew it. If they got pants that need hemmed or they got a hole in the back by the pocket, she'll fix their pants for them and stuff. She's a mama. And they appreciate that. She speaks that language of love very well. She struggles with Russian because of her thyroid problem, but I speak Russian much better than she does, so then I get to do all, this, all the speaking. Um, she'll say, we need to tell these guys this. I'm like, yeah, are you going to do that? No, I have to. Thanks a lot. Um, but uh, we, we do whatever we can to help minister to youth because I think it's really important for us to do that because somebody's got to pastor the churches that we plant. They're going to be leaders in churches. And, and so we need to make sure that we're investing in the youth so that they can grow. I have a home group that meets on Friday nights. In the last year, I did it just for guys. We had a lot of fun. Do a, we went through a lot of the books of the Bible and trying to just do an overview. Do you know you cannot do an overview in one week of Genesis? There's just too many years involved. You can't just talk about it for an hour and say that's it. It took us six weeks to get through Genesis. And it was a lot of rich stuff there. And I wanted to go deeper, but I decided not to. Um, it's just been a lot of fun watching people grow in Christ, especially young people. I did travel around Ukraine to visit their different churches. There's only, there's only about 100 churches of the churches of praise. I, I visited mostly away from home because the local churches don't need help. But I visited a lot of small churches. And their churches, if they're small, okay, they're going to be in a room about a, a sixth the size of this one which is basically the part of a house, an old house that they just took out a wall and then now we have a sanctuary. And I heard over and over again one, one year, then about three months period, we really like Phil because he goes to small churches. What I found is that Americans who spend money to go live in Ukraine or go, I should say, go travel to Ukraine as guests, they don't want to go to small churches because they want to get more bang for their buck. So I want to speak to the big crowds because then you get more bang for your buck. I'm like, hey, I live here. I can do this all the time. So I love going to small churches. And so they really appreciate that. Uh, it doesn't matter if the room is hot or cold. You see in the picture, it was cold. Uh, the church had one heater, and they gave it to the kids. And uh, my daughter was sitting in the front row, a 16-year-old at that time, and she had, um, her jacket was pulled up, so all you see is a little bit of hair up here, no face. 
And my jacket's on her lap, and she thought she was cold. I'm like, she didn't have a clue. I was very cold. Uh, and I even had long johns. I, I've, I've resorted to wearing long johns again. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Of course, the older I get, the colder I get, too. So that, that's probably partially why. But, but uh, yeah, this, that's life. I've also been the other extreme where it's 100 degrees outside, 110 inside. And I'm so thankful they gave me a fan, even though it didn't really help a lot. It at least was something. The air was moving. Um, indoor plumbing. Who likes indoor plumbing? And I know many of you are of the right age that you remember the days where there wasn't indoor plumbing. They still live those days in Ukraine. Most churches that we visit do not have indoor plumbing. A lot of people don't have indoor plumbing. Even towns of 10, 15,000 people, most people don't have indoor plumbing. It really is amazing. That's why I say third world country. And it wouldn't be so bad if it was just an outdoor toilet, but usually it's just a hole in the floor, squatty potty. Those take extra special skill. And uh, I now have a new thing for my resume, if I ever need it, you know. Can use squatty potty if needed. Um, it, it's just, when you go to camp for a week, and all they have is a squatty potty, you got to figure out how to use a silly thing. It's just how it is. Um, it's just, it, that's life. And I don't tell you that to say, oh, feel sorry for Phil and Denise. They just really struggle over there. They, no. I, we don't feel sorry for, for us at all. We just let you know that God doesn't care about our comfort. Because if he did, we wouldn't be in Ukraine. We'd be in Hawaii or the Bahamas or somewhere really nice. But we are in Ukraine because that's where God wants us. And it's not about our comfort. It's everything we do for God's glory. I did preach with a translator. Uh, Sveta is her name. I used, most of the time when she was my translator, she's actually our landlady as well. Um, God really blessed us with a great living situation. We, we share the same yard. Our house is in front, her house is in back. She lives in the small house with her four kids. And my wife and daughter and I live in the big house. Her husband left her in the summer of 2015 to live a life of drugs. His father is the main pastor of the group of churches we work with. So he's a pastor's kid in his mid-30s. He and his wife never had an argument the whole time of being married for 17, 18 years. And he just ups, up and leaves because he started doing drugs and just decided that was better. Leaves three beautiful girls. And uh, she decided she had to support her family somehow. So that's why she rented to us the bigger house and decided to live with her family in the smaller house. And I felt guilty at first. She's like, don't feel guilty. I prayed that God would provide me a renter to provide for my family. He answered through you. And we prayed for a house in that particular neighborhood. I told you our city was really long. I wanted a house in that particular neighborhood, and we got one. God is faithful. Um, but I, she, I usually use the translator because the older people don't understand my American accent when I speak Russian. And so for their sakes, I use a translator. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't speak Russian when I preach, because I do. I start out in Russian, I'll read the scripture, I'll pray, I'll throw things in. So at first when I, she would translate for me, <clears throat> I would really throw her off because I'd switch languages all the time. She's like, don't do that. I said, I have to do that. She's gotten used to it, so that's good. Um, and then always, almost always, the grandmas come forward after church and want you to pray for them. They almost always speak Ukrainian. I speak Russian. They're similar, like Portuguese and Spanish, but not the same. And so I don't understand enough, so I have to say, okay, come translate so I know. I could just say, oh yeah, I, I kind of understood, and okay, God bless my sister. I could just pray a prayer like that, and I know God can move. But because I want that grandma to know that God loves her, I make sure I understand what she prayed for, and I pray specifically for her need. Usually through my translator, so that way I can pray it so she can translate to Ukrainian. Because I want to make sure that grandma knows that she's loved by God. And almost always there's four main requests the grandmas have, about 85% of the time. It is she has sugar diabetes, high blood pressure, or heart disease, all diet-related. The fourth one is she has a son who's an alcoholic or drug addict, and she would forgo her healing to have her son get saved. Absolutely. It really breaks your heart watching the grandmas um, cry when you pray for their sons. 
Um, and then we always take a third person with us because we're not married to each other, so we always want to make sure that we have a chaperone. So that I do that intentionally, though, because um, even if she was a guy, I'd bring somebody else along because it's a discipleship moment. We travel in the car. We can talk about the Lord. We talk about the Bible. We talk about life. We can ask that person questions, and it just it becomes a really good time of investing in somebody else. Uh, means that usually wherever we're staying, she's one place and I'm the other place with one of the young guys. So we get a chance to talk just one-on-one and I get to be a dad to guys, which is so fun. <laughs> Being that I have only girls, God has blessed me with boys. It's interesting because my wife, um, in 2010, after we got to Ukraine, she contacted a lady in our home church in Waseca, Minnesota, and said, I know that sometimes God gives you words. She said, I need a word for me because... Everybody else in my family had a word from God for them, except me. I'm jealous. So this lady prayed, and she told Denise that God said she would be a mother to many. So our first two years in Ukraine, we thought we had three guys that called us mom and dad. We thought, that's, that's a mother to many. That's a lot. You know, that's three more than we had. And so we came home to itinerate. Before we went back in 2014, this lady said to my wife, I just want you to know that God's word for you has not changed. You're going to be a mother to many. And I used to say, up to about a year ago, that we are seeing the fulfillment of that. But I'm starting to say it differently now. We are only beginning to see the fulfillment of that. Because my wife is mama, I'm papa, and it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I said to my wife, I didn't realize that if you are going to be a mother to many, I had to be a father to many. But it kind of makes sense. And so we're just having the time of our life investing in other people. And that's one thing about traveling that gets, I get to do that. In the last three years of church ministry, I got to pray with at least 170 people to come to faith in Jesus. At least 170 people. I don't have to fill out an annual report like Pastor Gary does, so I don't do a good job of counting. But I know it was at least that because I went back through Facebook and said, well, there's five here and four here and whatever, and just it was at least that. And I also did personal ministry myself. It wasn't just what I did in church. It was the relationships I had outside of church. The guys I met at the gym or on the train or wherever it was that I met them. Um, investing in their lives. And so I prayed with people in my home to come and receive Jesus as well. That was a lot of fun. We actually prayed with a lot of different people about a lot of different things. We had a couple that came over that were having marriage trouble. And, and I don't understand either one of their Russian very well. This was like very early on in our time in Krivoy Rog, um, three years ago. And... I really struggled with both of their Russian language, the way they speak it. And I'm like, God, you got to help me because I'm the translator for my wife to understand what's going on. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Somehow we helped them. I don't know how, but somehow we did. It's not needed. My wife and I, we're not gifted in the area of marriage counseling, all right? But somehow we helped them, prayed with them, whatever, and somehow it really was a blessing to them. And for me, it was an encouragement because, like, hey, I actually could communicate with them, which I was really worried about that before we did that. The last lady we had come to our house before we left was a lady who wanted to find a husband. So let's have the missionaries pray, right? Well, funny enough, in in their first two years on the field, my wife actually had somebody come up to her in church and say, will you pray for me? I want to find a husband. Within two months, the lady found a husband. So she brought her friend you help me, now you got to pray for her. So they thought that my wife had this ministry of finding husbands. But this lady didn't know those other two, so it was just actually hilarious. So I'm like, honey, this is not my thing. This is a woman, you have to do it. So I was basically translator for that whole process. That was, that was her, her thing. But ultimately, you never know what people are going to want prayer for. And so when a lady asked me, can I come over and talk to you guys? I'm like, can you at least tell me what about so I can kind of be kind of prepared? Because if, if it's something really uncomfortable for me, I'm going to find her a different translator, a woman translator. I remember being in one church that I prayed to this woman, and then she really didn't share all of her needs. Then she went and talked to my wife and had a translator, and they, they talked, and, and I found out later on what she shared with them. I'm like, oh, thank God she didn't tell me that because I didn't want to know. <laughs> Even then when they told me, I didn't want to know. But, you know, it's just one of those things where let's just keep me out of the loop on some of this stuff. But it's fun seeing people's lives changed by the power of the gospel. When we did a water baptism service in the main church about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, out of the 60 people that I baptized along with another American that was there, I knew personally 
about a fourth of them, about 15 of them I knew fairly well. And about half of those, about seven of them, I had actually helped in some way, shape, or form in their walk with Christ. So for me to be able to have the privilege of baptizing them in water was absolutely a thrill beyond all thrills. Because it's more, it's so exciting to lead somebody in the prayer of salvation, but it's even better to watch them grow in Christ. I think that's just so fun. We actually stayed four years instead of three. I mentioned that, I think. And we were able to do it because our finances were strong, thanks to churches like yours. And uh, I did forget to mention, Pastor Kerry mentioned to me that you guys did help us by uh, paying for a table at district council. And so my wife manned man, the woman the table, is that a word? Um, with, along with our stuff, whatever, we actually ended up, um, she made some really great connections with uh, a missions leader in a church we're going to later on this year uh, that does not support us financially, so I'm hoping that that turns into something at some point. Um, I actually scheduled the several services because of, we had the table there. We sold several bags of coffee, more than I expected. I expected zero. Then we sold like 15, so I was... It was a blessing, so thank you very much for your, your help with that. Um, it, was a, it was a very, very big thing. And, and just the greatest thing was the connections for my wife. Being that she hasn't traveled with me, she got to talk to people that I'd already talked to. And my wife's the nice one of us. Do you think I'm nice? She's super nice, you know. So people always like her first. That's just how it is. But uh, we actually saw more people get saved the last year than we did the previous three years combined. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that staying was the right thing to do. And I got to know some people that I wouldn't have gotten to know had we left. Um, August of 2017, we were supposed to already be in America, but we stayed. I got to know Vanya at a camp where all we had was squatty potties, and it felt like it was a 10-minute walk away from all the other buildings, which it probably was. And Vanya's right now he's 16, almost 17. He is living in a dorm, going to tech school and working, which means he's mostly working and not going to tech school very much because he comes from a very poor family. When his dad and mom got married, dad had one child, mom had two, and they had Vanya first. Then they had three more, seven kids, living in a village outside of Krivarog, dirt poor. Kind of like my great-grandparents were, very, very, very poor. Uh, two years ago, they had a fire in their house, and it destroyed their home in the village. And they don't have house insurance in Ukraine like we do here. So your house burns? Tough luck. So either you rebuild or you go rent something, or if you can't afford to do that, you go live with family, which is what they did. Vanya and his dad went to live with his dad's mother in an apartment in the city. His four siblings still at home, the older two are already out on their own, along with his mother went to live with her mother in an apartment in the city. And I have no idea about their living situation. I just know where Vanya was with his grandma, his dad's mom, that they did not have a working washing machine, Shower or bathtub. Some of you are old enough to remember those good old days, right? They weren't so good, were they? And you know that clothes don't get as clean if you don't actually wash them with detergent and plenty of water and, you know, it just by hand doesn't quite do it. Which is why they are being, most people are poor and they have like two pairs of socks. And they wash them out every night, but they don't ever wash them out really good, so eventually they just rot. That's just, just how they are. Um, so when he came over to our house, the first place he went was the bathroom. Buddy, you're taking a shower. My wife always, again, mama, went secondhand shopping and got different size clothes, underwear, socks, shirts, pants, whatever, for these guys. That way, if they took a shower at our house, they'd had something to change into while we washed their clothes. And it was always much easier to eat supper after he had taken a shower than before. And for Hope especially, we were doing that more for her benefit, but for ours as well. Uh, there was a time with my cell group, actually, when the guys would come over and take off their, feet, their shoes in the spring and fall. And sometimes, summertime, they always wear flip-flops, so it's not a big deal. But spring and fall, take off those shoes, and it gets pretty rancid in there fast. I almost was like, let's just all go in the bathroom and wash our feet. Let's do a foot washing every week. So we, and so my, my daughter, every time she'd come downstairs after cell group was over, she'd go, oh, feet. <laughs> it's just how it is. Um, and uh, anyway, Vanya, he went to camp that year, and I got to know him. I knew his pastor. I know of his family, but I didn't realize um, the dire situation and all that stuff. 
But when I found out that he actually lived fairly close to me, living with his dad and grandma, I'm like, you've got to come to my subgroup. Well, he came off and on after camp, um, but not very regularly until last January, I invited him to go with me to a one-day youth conference. And God changed his life with that youth conference. There's a lot more to it, but I'll just keep it at that. And, and uh, his mom noticed a change in him, and she said, even not living with him, she noticed that change. She said to her husband, if Phil needs somebody, needs Vanya to go with him, you just say yes. Because mom's a believer. She wants Vanya with a believer. Dad is a drunk. Vodka is his best friend. He gave his life to Christ at one stage, but he went back to the call of vodka because he couldn't get away from it. And so even at 14, his dad was invited to go drink. Very tough. And, and so because mom is like, I want you to go with, with Phil as much as you can, so okay, that means that his dad said yes, and his mom said, if Vanya needs to miss school on Friday or Monday because they're going somewhere farther away or doing a full week in the ministry, I'm okay with that too. Now, how many mothers in America would say it's okay to miss school? Nobody. But there, it is okay. And so, he travels me a lot. He came to cell group every week. He was faithful. And I saw a big difference in him. I would love to tell you that today Vanya is living for God and just doing great, but I can't because I'd be lying. Vanya is struggling. Why is Vanya struggling? Because his mentor's in America. I, I tried to find another mentor to say, here, help him live for God while I'm gone. You can't force that. Vanya is very close to a lot of people, and for some reason he opens up to me. And so there wasn't any, any natural connection I could just say, here, help, have him help you live for God. So he's struggling. So I pray for him. I just tell him, hey, hang in there, buddy. I'm going to get back there, and we're going to help you live for God again because that's, that's really what he needs to do. And he knows that. He wants to live for God. Um, life is rough. He actually moved out last spring because he didn't want to punch his dad when he was drunk. And he could have. Um, Vanya was a hard, is a hard worker. He's, he's always has been. His dad's never been, but he's a hard worker. He would work and give money to grandma and his dad or grandma, I should say, to help pay the bills. But somehow, grandma would give money to dad to go get something, and he'd always get vodka. So somehow, it was always Vanya's fault that dad was a drunk. Never grandma's fault. And so just a lot of difficult things. And when his dad was drunk, he was never, he was a mean, mean drunk. So he spent a lot of time at our house, spending the night and whatever, because he had to get away from dad. Dad never, even when he was sober, never said, I love you, never said, I'm proud of you, never said, wow, you're a good worker, Vanya. Never, ever, ever, ever. So sad. When I would tell him, Vanya, I'm proud of you for making the right choice, he'd look at me like, wow, I haven't heard that before. Just absolutely amazing. I love, I love him very much. I would have adopted him if I could have. Guys like him, it's not, he's not the only one. He's one of many. Nikita, he was raised in a Christian home. And his dad died unexpectedly two and a half years ago. Guess who became the surrogate dad? That's me. And Vanya, I should say, Vanya was, was raised in a Christian home after about the age of five, I think. Nikita was born in a Christian family. And so for him, church is normal, only he can't go to church much because he works so much. He works 50 hours a week plus at a pizza place and makes next to nothing. But he and I have a really good relationship. And he writes me regularly too. When are you coming back? I really miss you. I know, buddy. I miss you, too. That's, it's just how it is. But he, he knows I'm not an athlete, but he likes to play basketball. He's one of the three guys I know that likes basketball, and he's shorter than I am. But he just he loves it, so we play some form of horse, um, which is something I can actually do. So anyway, and he always wins anyway, just about always, but whatever. That's, that's how it is. He just wants to spend time with me. And I'm like, what young guy wants to spend time with an old guy like me? But what its secret is, when people feel love, they want to be with you. When they feel nothing but rules and condemnation, they don't want to be with you. But when they feel love, they want to be with you. They want to spend time with you. 
Jesus said, go make disciples, and he told us how to do that by teaching them all the things he's taught us, right? It does not say pastors and missionaries go make disciples. It's implied everyone go make disciples. If it was up to Pastor Gary and I and Pastor Austin, we wouldn't get as much done because we need each other. We need, we need help. And in Acts 1.8 it says, you will be witnesses where? Everywhere. Now that doesn't mean that you probably are going to make it to Ukraine or Africa or New Zealand like somebody's daughter. You, you are supposed to take care of the people in your world that you can influence for Jesus. But the way that you go to these other places is in prayer and financially. That's why missionaries travel around. People will say to me, isn't there an easier way? I said, yeah, there probably is, but there's not a better way. Because we need that face-to-face contact. You need to hear the stories of the people that we're, we're meeting. Because you're part of that. You need to hear that because then it ministers to you. There's something that it does to you to hear what God is doing. And the way you do that is by giving and praying. Those are the things that you, ways you can be involved. You don't have to have a degree in biblical studies to be able to share your faith with somebody. You could have given your life to Jesus yesterday, and that's enough. You don't have to have all the answers. I know that Pastor Gary does not have the Bible memorized. Neither do I. You don't have to. You could just share what you know. Share what you have. When God speaks, his disciples have got to, first of all, notice that he's speaking, then actually listen to what he's saying, and then obey and go and doing what, what he said. Think about your kids when they're little. Do you just talk to them, or do you get their attention first? You better get their attention first, otherwise they're never going to hear what you say. Even my 18-year-old. I'm 18, not, not 8. Act like it then. Listen when I speak. I shouldn't have to go, hello. But we need to notice that God is speaking so we can hear that voice and then we have to do what it says. Do what the voice says. There's a book out called The Ten Second Rule. And it's, the premise of the book is, if you think you heard from God, do something about that thing in the next ten seconds. For example, you go to leave the house and God says, take your umbrella. You take your umbrella. And when it rains, you're glad you have the umbrella. Or take a bag of potatoes. Somebody's going to need that later today. And if you don't have the potatoes and you meet somebody that needs it, you're going to have to go buy potatoes. You might as well take the bag. Or if it's something you can't do right now, you call a friend and say, hey, God just spoke to me to do this. Keep me accountable. Remind me that I told you I was going to do this. Because what they have found is that if you don't do something about what God speaks to you in the next 10 seconds, first 10 seconds, you're not going to do it. We had a lady in our home church in southern Minnesota that she had God speak to her about baking pies to raise money for missions. She called a friend. Make sure I'm accountable to do this. And then she did it. When God called us to be missionaries, I did not go tell the world that we're going to be missionaries. I went and talked to a few trusted people and said, pray with us about this because I feel like that's what God wants us to do. And then go and do whatever it was God told. What we noticed in our experience was that it's relatively easy to say yes to God. Relatively easy. But it's much more difficult to live out the yes. When God called us to be missionaries, it was relatively easy to say, yes, God, we'll be missionaries. But to actually sell our stuff, that's a whole different ballgame. To actually move with your family to another country, to actually learn Russian, that's a whole nother ballgame. It takes dying to yourself daily, basically. If we say yes to God and don't do it, we are being disobedient. And, as I said earlier, God is more concerned with our comfort, or less concerned with our comfort, than with our obedience. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. He got the luxury ride inside of a fish. Well, okay, it wasn't so luxury. But it wasn't about the comfort. It was about getting him to obey what God had asked him to do. 
In Ukraine, we have religious freedom, openness to the gospel. I'm, I can easily say I'm a missionary. No worries. A lot of people don't know what that is. Uh, but we also have some challenges. We got one of the top sources of trafficked women in the world because Ukrainian women are known to be beautiful, a lot of orphans. Uh, we have one of the highest exponential growth rates of HIV AIDS. Drug and alcohol addiction is a huge problem. And we have a struggling economy and a shrinking population because people are leaving to go to Europe where life is better. So my concern is if all the good people leave, who's left? So I'm really glad some of my friends have said, Ukraine's my country, I'm staying. I think that's awesome. Open your eyes and look to the fields are right for the harvest, Jesus said in John 4.35. We took this picture of this field when it was being harvested, so it was definitely right. And this is an image of Ukraine. People are receiving Jesus. They're ready to receive Jesus. In the larger cities, not so much, because they're more wealthy. They don't need God, just like in America. But the smaller populated areas, they need something because they have no hope. They have nothing. Um, there's supposed to be one more picture, but the other picture was a harvested field. And the verse is um, one of the saddest ones in the Bible from the book of Jeremiah. The summer has ended, the harvest, is, no, the harvest has ended, the summer is gone, yet we are not saved. My heart is that that would not happen to a bunch of people in Ukraine, that we can be there longer to be able to, yeah, that's the one. We can be there longer to be able to um, see people come to faith in Jesus so they don't miss the harvest. We need prayer. Make sure you get a prayer card. Um, pray for our family. Pray for our extended family. My in-laws are 87 and 86. My dad is 78. They're aging. And it's not fun watching your parents age, let me tell you. Some of you have been there, so you understand that. But pray for us. Pray that God would open doors of ministry for us. That he would give us favor uh, in the sight of people. That we would just have... Um, his presence with us, to be able to obey him when he speaks to us. Um, pray with us. We've actually been making good progress. We're at 39 partners at $50 a month is what our need is. I'm not asking you for more money. I'm just telling you this is where we're at so you can pray with us. God is providing for us. And one of the quick, I just want to tell you one quick story. In January, we got some money from a lady in Michigan. Never been to Michigan. Don't know many people in Michigan. And the, one, the ones I do are not Christians, so they would not be sending us money. And I thought, this has to be a mistake. So I wrote to headquarters, wrote him an email and said, this money must be a mistake, right? He said, no, no, that's not a mistake. Here's the letter that came with it. So I got a copy of the letter and I read the letter and I went, oh, God is at work. This lady writes, I'm Ukrainian-American. And I understand we have, you have missionaries in Ukraine that are doing work in discipleship and evangelism and training leaders in small towns. And I want to transfer my support from this missionaries in Africa to Phil and Denise Reed. And then she continues on and says, I'm 77 years old on a fixed income and I can't support two missionaries. I almost cried because, and I'm not a person given the tears, but I almost cried because God showed me, first of all, her heart, and second of all, that he was going to provide in ways that I could never imagine. I was very curious about this lady. How she ever heard about Phil and Denise Reed is beyond me. So I called her about six weeks after that. Finally, the end of March, I got a hold of her. She was so excited that a missionary would actually call her because she's given to other ministries and nobody's ever called. So she was actually just on cloud nine. And when I shared with her what I shared with you today about what God's doing, she said, oh, that makes my heart so happy. That is my heart, she says. And she said, I'll be doing more than $20 a month. Okay, whatever you do, that's awesome. That's just great. But I asked her, how did you find out about us? She said, well, we had a missionary in our church. And I asked him, does the Assemblies of God have missionaries in Ukraine? And he said, yeah, we do. And so somewhere she got a list of the different families. There's about <clears throat> 12 or 14 of us in Ukraine. She got a list of names and a little blurb about what we do. And when she got to our name, what we do actually spoke to her heart. God quickened her heart and said they're the ones. So that's pretty exciting. If God can do that, he's got it covered. So pray with us that God will lead us to the right, the right churches, the right people, and he'd provide for us. I believe we're going to get our money so we can go back at the end of July. End of July, end of October, sorry. It's funny because I actually have services booked through the end of December. We're planning to leave the end of October. So see how that works out. We have a website, thereadreport.org. You can sign up for our newsletter there, or you can talk to me, and I can get you signed up. 
I do have coffee at our table if you're interested. If not, no worries, uh, no, no pressure. Um, proceeds go to our missions account. And otherwise, thank you for the opportunity of being here today. As a token of our appreciation for your financial partnership with us, we have a piece of hand-painted pottery from our part of Ukraine uh, with cherries on it. That's one of the national symbols of Ukraine. So I, that's, that's for you guys here just to say thank you. So appreciate you guys very much and appreciate your, your time and patience today and, and for listening to what God has been doing. <laughs>